everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Machine Learning. I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we're talking to QQ Song. Yeah, I'm not brave enough to try the Chinese name. Sorry. You can tell everybody how it's said and how to find you. But yeah, I was looking at this book and it looks really interesting as far as like automated machine learning and talking about like Keras and AutoKeras, some of the, these tools that we haven't really, I don't feel like dived into on the show yet. So yeah, why don't we just go ahead and let you introduce yourself a little bit further and then we can dive into what automated machine learning is and how these tools work. Sure, sure, sure. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, Charles. So my name is Ching Quan Song. Uh, so you can call me QQQ. So I'm a, currently a final year PhD student in Texas A&M University. So after my graduation, I will become a machine learning and relevance engineer in Beijing. And we uh, this book is collaborative many publications. So it's written with my lab mate Hai Feng, who is the uh, uh, first author of uh, Autocaros which is an mm -hmm. AutoML, the most popular automated deep learning tool currently. Uh, and also with my advisor, Dr. Xia Hu. Yeah, so should I provide more introduction for the book where you can, we can? Nope, that, that's good. We'll put a link to it on the Manning website. We also have discount codes and I'll make sure that that's in the show notes because yeah, I can't currently, remember which one to yeah. use. They've given me like three, so. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, currently the book is on MIP. So uh, there are like five main chapters and two appendixes out. And there are four uh, remaining chapters, which will be uh, released uh, probably uh, half a month per uh, chapter. Yeah. Nice. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, let's just dive in and start talking about these tools and what AutoML is. Now, I'm kind of new to the machine learning arena. I had some co-hosts, we're working out scheduling, and so I've just been doing these on my own, who are much more practiced at this. So for me being new, can you kind of explain, and I'm sure there are other people who are listening who are also new, what AutoML is, and we'll just start there and then we can dive into what the tools do and how they come together. Sure, 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 of course. So first, I need to, since I'm not sure if everybody already know about machine learning. So uh, I think mm -hmm. before the experience of machine learning, the general AI is mainly used the symbolic AI, which means we provide the rules for the machines and the machine can, based on the rules to like uh, detect or predict like a, something. So for example, if we want to recognize the image, so you have to provide the machine like Maybe the color of an apple is red and the color of some banana is yellow or something like this. And the machine can base on this to directly recognize something. So this is called like symbolic AI. But with machine learning, you don't have to provide the rules explicitly. You can provide the data to the machine and then the machine can learn from the data about these rules. And then based on the rules, the machine can like predict something or detect something. And the auto, so in machine learning, there are some 
parameters which we want to learn. These parameters were used to like memorize the rules from the data. And there are also something called hyperparameter, which is some predefined parameter by human, and it is not changeable during this learning process. And this is called hyperparameter. And for automating machine learning, so the main task is to like, some people may not have enough background to define this hyperparameter. So for AutoML, we want to like automatically assign this the suitable hyperparameters so that the people who does not have enough background, they can, they don't have to like choose by themselves. Like what kind of mm-hmm. models we want to use and what kind of hyperparameters for each model we want to assign. So that's the thing. And also there are a lot of stages in machine learning. Like you have to pre-process the data. You have to choose a model. Right. Yeah, you have to deploy the model. So if you use AutoML, so some of these efforts can be removed. Like you don't have to, you, you, you can directly provide the raw data and the AutoML will mm-hmm. choose a suitable way to pre-process it and choose a suitable model for you and then tune the model and help you to like even deploy the model. So that's what AutoML can, can, can help. It's, it's kind of interesting because we typically think of machine learning systems as systems that make decisions, right? They'll, they classify things, other yes. things like that. And, and more like science fiction-y AI, they're like making these broader decisions. And right. so it almost feels like it's kind of a, a meta layer of AI on top of AI to a certain degree. Yeah, so like AutoML is still a subfield of machine learning, but it's kind of yeah. to help you use machine learning rather mm-hmm. than like, like give, like it's like give you some machine learning models and help you to use it. Yeah, so, right. Uh, the goal. So, so how did you get into AutoML as opposed to some of the other areas within machine learning? So I think I get into AutoML in my second year of PhD study. So at that time, we have a project, mainly it's the DARPA project. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called uh, like D3M. It's data-driven discovery of models. So in that project, mm-hmm. there are a lot of universities collaborate with each other. So we try to pro- uh, propose some automated machine learning tools, like we compete with each other and collaborate with each other. So mainly because of that project, so I know something about AutoML. And then we start to do something um, called neural architecture search. So this is something related to automated deep learning because recently, in recent years, so deep learning is quite popular. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of dominant in machine learning area. And But deep learning has a problem. So deep learning has even much more hyperparameters we need to assign to, to for the model. So like you have a lot, a bunch of models and for the neural network, you have a lot of things to set. And this is quite difficult to democratize, democratize AI. So for the people who does not have machine learning background or even for the expertise, uh, it's just hard for them to tune the model. So mm-hmm. at that time, so people like try to think about if we can use AutoML to try to tune these hyperparameters and help people to use uh, deep learning easily. So that's we think we try to like go delve into the automated uh, machine learning area. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm a little curious as we dive into this, if somebody just doesn't have any experience whatsoever, what do they need to know in order to use this? I would say that, yeah, that's a very good question. So in fact, for AutoML, it's targeted on two like part of the people. I, the first part is that people who does not have much expertise. They may not even mm-hmm. have 
know any of the machine learning models. So that's the ideal case. So they want to use, but they don't know anything. So they have the data and they have the task. So what they have to do is just provide the data to the AutoML system and tell the system what you want to do. For example, I want to do a classification. I want to classify the data. I want to do, a, for example, like a image recognition or, or like, mm -hmm. like anomaly detection or these kind of or recommendation, these tasks. And then the machine can directly provide a model. So, and you may not know what the model is, but this model can help you to do this. So after that, you can provide the data and then the model can help you do the task. So this is, in this case, you don't have to know, I would say you have to know very few of machine learning knowledge, such as the, what kind of machine learning task you want to do. At least you have to know the task and you have to provide the data to the machine. And then you don't have to learn other things. But AutoML is also targeting on another group of people. They have enough expertise and they know what kind of model they want to use, or they have some choices for the models. And they just don't know which is the best one they want to use. Uh, mm -hmm. And in that case, you have to have enough machine learning background. You have to know the pro uh, maybe what kind of models are good for your task. And you don't have to know much about the tuning of these models, but you can provide your choices uh, to the machine, and the machine can help you to further discover the optimal one. So in that case, you have to have more expertise for these things. And also for the last part of people, the, uh, I would say that they are the people who build up machine learning system. So in that case, mm -hmm. you have to know everything. If you want to build up this AutoML system, you have to know uh, everything. And you also maybe want to know some interpretations of the models. Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. the case, yeah. So it sounds like it works better on problems or approaches or data sets that are already somewhat understood, right? So you, you talked about like classifications and recommendation engines and things like that, right? Where, where there's already something there, you know, auto ML, it, it sounds like works in those situations. If you've just got some completely whack, wacko off the wall thing that nobody's really seen before, I can't imagine that there are too many areas that we haven't explored yet. But Imagine somebody runs across something where, yeah, their data set's really wacky and the problem they're trying to solve is a little bit unique. Yes. Does this work there too? I, I think this is, a, this is a very good question. It's kind of a limitation of AutoML now uh, because AutoML, ideally, we wanted to do everything. So we want to have an AutoML system. When, whatever data set or task you provide, it can directly mm -hmm. provide model. But currently, I don't think an autonomous system can do so. Maybe in the future it will. But currently, there are some people who are targeting on like, task-specific autonomous. It means like, it's, like there are some popular tasks, like a recommendation or like a mm -hmm. non-action. So we tailor the autonomous system to these tasks so that AutoML can generate the corresponding, like more tailored model for these tasks. So because in different tasks, we often have different type of models. So we have many models mm -hmm. for each task and for the, the various task to task. So that's why there are some people working on like, like AutoML for a task specific AutoML. And if you have a really weird task, I would say that the, the target should be like clarified, should be explicit. Like for them, you, you want to do classification, you want to do regression. So these tasks should be uh, clarified, but the data have to be like in the 
one of the format that automated system can accept. Like it could be a table, it could be like a Python process a matrix or some other things. At least the system can accept the task or some JSON files or TXT files, these kind of things. So the automated system should be able to accept this data. So then it's, it should be fine. But yeah. definitely if your data is too noisy, it's too weird, so you have to pre-process by yourself first and then provide to the system. Right. Makes sense. So what I'm kind of going back and forth between talking about more of the approach or talking about the tools. Let's talk about the tools first. Sure. sure. So you've got, because I think the approach will kind of come out of that. So you've got AutoKeras, uh, Keras tuners. AutoKeras, it looks like you actually are one of the folks that works on it. Yes. Do you want to just explain what it is, what it does, and how it works? Sure, sure, sure. Of course. So I think maybe the audience may not know like AutoKeras, but they should know like Keras probably or TensorFlow. Mm -hmm. Like TensorFlow, so in fact, these four tools, like TensorFlow, Keras, Keras Tuner, and AutoKeras, these four are within an ecosystem. So they are called Keras ecosystem. So the most fundamental one is TensorFlow. So TensorFlow provides you the tensor operations and basic mathematical mm -hmm. calculations. So it's the fundamental. And beyond that, there's Keras. So Keras is mainly like an API to help you better use like TensorFlow models for the right. and uh, create TensorFlow models and deploy them. And Keras currently is uh, part of the mo module in TensorFlow. It's in TensorFlow 2.0, it's already incorporated. So Keras is merged into TensorFlow. And beyond Keras, so Keras is kind of help you to build different models, but you still have to know how to build it for, uh, and tune it. Like for Keras Tuner, it's kind of hyperparameter tuning for Keras models. So you can use mm. Keras Tuner to tune the hyperparameters of Keras models. And also you can even tune something beyond deep learning models. You can even tune like scikit-learn, like some base shallow models, like regression or tree models or these kinds of things. So that's Keras Tuner. And on top of this ecosystem, it's called AutoKeras. So AutoKeras is like, have several APIs, it's based on the Keras Tuner. It can also help you to tune the deep learning models, but in a more easy way. So when you use Keras Tuner to tune the deep learning models, you still have to create the deep learning models one by one, but you can provide a space, like the choices for each hyperparameter, like how many layers of the neural network you want to use. And then the Keras Tuner can help you to choose it. But for AutoCARS, you don't have to provide these things explicitly. So there are several APIs. So in the one API is called Task API. So the functionality is like what I explained previously. It's like you provide the data, you provide the task. Then I will directly give you a deep learning model. You may not know what kind of model it is, but you will achieve a model to help you do the task. And also if you, some, you are some advanced users, you can use some other a little bit lower, like lower level API to help you to customize your search space and even your search algorithms. But generally, the goal of AutoCaras is to like save your efforts, like creating, building uh, these search spaces and can directly uh, provide you a deep learning model after you give that data. So that's like uh, the ecosystem of Keras. Yeah. So, so then your approach is essentially just to use one of these tools, right? You, you put one of these tools on your model? Uh, yeah, mainly this book is trying to still introduce the general AutoML concept and also the algorithms. But mm -hmm. we all use these tools as examples to help you to better understand this. 
And we, in fact, we first introduced the, the task API for Autocaras. So we, like, in that case, you can use like three to five lines of code to solve the problem. But at that time, you don't know like what kind of models you are searched from and what, what kind of uh, final models you achieve. And then we will teach you how to like define the search space, like how to use Keras Tuner mainly to like help you to make a more customized choices for your selection. And yeah, and also for some shallow models. And after that, you will learn to like, so we'll have some like automated algorithms. Like uh, these algorithms help you to search the models. You are like, tr help, you will have to, uh, you, you will tr try to understand like what kind of what kind of ways we use to search the models from the search space, and then you, we will teach something about like parallel or distributed things. As since AutoML are not just for small problems, it may also have a lot of data and even tasks or something. So you have to may have to learn something about dealing with the large scale data set or large scale models. Yeah, so that's kind of the outline of the book and how we use mm -hmm. the tools to help understand the AutoML concept. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm trying to figure out too, like where people are using this. Do you, do you have a good sense of where people are implementing AutoML? There are, I would say there are two groups of people still. Uh, one is in the like, academic part, so in the research community. So we, in the, in many in the university. So we don't have enough like computational resources in the university mainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, compared to the company part. So we try to build AutoML mainly from the algorithm side or understand the underlying theory or foundations of AutoML. So we build some like open source tools like Autocaras or there are some others like AutoPyTorch uh, or these kind of tools or AutoCycular, so these kind of tools. And uh, so mainly they are dealing with small scale problems. So and they can be used to for a research topic and compare with other models, or like target on a Kaggle data set, or dealing with some Kaggle computations. And I think there are another group of people, uh, many in the company. The uh, Most of the companies, I think, uh, provide AutoML services, they are like cloud services, like Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, they all have some yeah. their AutoML tools, and they provide cloud services for this. And they can help the middle level, uh, I would say the middle scale companies, to or small companies to uh, generate some, they can generate some machine learning models based on AutoML to them. And there are some commercial ones. There are some non-commercial ones. Like Google, they have the commercial ones and they also have the non-commercial ones, which I think probably you can find it on the Kaggle also to use it. But that one can only deal with, I would say since the computational resources provided to the non-commercial AutoML is uh, still limited. So you don't, you cannot do much with it. But for the commercial ones, definitely you can work on some larger data sets. And also there are some internal tools. I think for Google, for example, they have like Vizier, there's a system which is a in a published paper of KDD. So it's kind of an internal tools, AutoML tools to tune their uh, models. Yeah, so that's uh, the thing uh, they've already, uh, uh, something that have already been deployed. Uh, in the companies. And also, I think there are some automated tools help like Disney provide a like foundation or search. I kind of forgot that. And also, there are something you may have known like AlphaGo. 
that AlphaGo, there are some, when they create AlphaGo models for, they also use Autumn to mm-hmm. tune the hyperparameters of the AlphaGo system. Yeah, so that's something I can think of that has been used in the company or in also in the research academic. Very cool. Now, is this something that you can use to kind of manage end-to-end systems? Because I've talked to some people where they kind of, they have something that goes through like one algorithm or one system and then goes through kind of a pipeline. Do you use this on specific stages within the pipeline or can you use it on the whole thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like depends on your requirement and your expertise. So like use AutoCAS as an example. So the higher level API can help you to directly provide all the blocks in the pipeline like the data preprocessing, feature engineering, the model selection, and then the final thing, the post-processing or something. And for, there are the second level API is like you choose the blocks you want to use. Like for the preprocessing, you define a block, and then I will tune this block. For model selection, maybe you have a fixed model, you don't want to tune. Then you can just connect this block with your preprocessing block. So, and I will only, so the system will only tune the preprocessing part. And also, you, you can define other part you want to tune or you don't want to tune. And for AutoCAS, currently, we haven't provided some realization tools. We only provide the, you can like directly see the final results. But I think in the future, uh, there'll be more like uh, realization or something that can help you to interpret your results. Like, mm-hmm. like after the search, you can directly visualize what things I discovered and what kind of things I searched with during the search process and you can better like choose these modules or understand the results why the model can give like better results than what i tune so that's something yeah you may want to use right yeah it sounds like you can use this to yeah to get better results i'm wondering how you verify that you're getting better results because Mm -hmm. in a lot of these cases for example just to throw another situation out there like covid19 right People have been talking about how they measure certain things or how they get certain results in the numbers. And so I've kind of been looking at it and looking at how politics has injected itself into it. I'm starting to realize that that raises some questions about some of the numbers, right? And I'm not making any kind of political statement here, but what I am interested in is, okay, then how do we verify the numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, how do we verify that, that this hasn't been twisted or that there's not something in this system that is giving us in incorrect or I don't want to say like completely false because it's usually not usually it's somewhat close to the truth but it's inaccurate that's the word I was looking for inaccurate so how do we measure that with these systems to know that AutoML is actually getting us closer to the information or closer to the outcome we want as opposed to further away. I mean, sometimes you can just look at it and you'll, you're will you kind of like, yeah, that this outcome is better than that. But sometimes it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's like, there are some metrics. Of course, mainly there are machine learning metrics. So the first one is like, of course, the like the accuracy or something. So in fact, before you deploy the model, you don't really know how it works in reality. You can only based on your data, your current collected data, and you can split part of the data for training, evaluation, and testing. You, you won't touch the test set before you get the f- final model. And you are based on this test data to test the accuracy, like the, such as the prediction accuracy, or some of the arrows you want to choose, you may use to measure this. 
And another measurement could be like the complexity, like the time, how fast is the machine? Because sometimes in the recommendation or other tasks, it's very important, like the latency of the system. And but for I would say for the medical task, like for like for for them for the COVID test, it's kind of tricky. It's kind of a different thing. The accuracy is important. Usually in medical task, we don't have too much data, so for the complexity, it's not a very big problem. But there are some interpretation ability and also the transparency or mm-hmm. privacy of this is more important to measure because even you provide a more accurate model on the test data, people may not trust it because it's still a machine model. People still Mm -hmm. want to trust the doctor. So in that case, you have to provide some interpretations why a model is better, and not only based on the accuracy, but also based on some features that people can understand. So No, that makes complete sense. Yeah, so in that case, we need some interpretations for this. So for current automail system, I, I don't think there are too much research on this, but it's a very popular, and I would say it's kind of would become a very good research topic, like how to interpret your automatic results. Like one, uh, like not only like post hoc, like after you got the model, I can use some interpretation method to interpret why this model can do better, but also like the uh, like the middle in the middle of the search process. So during the searching, why this automatic system provide this model rather than that one? So that's kind of a good interpretation that may help people to understand why the model is chooses and why these things can provide it. I, I think there are some, maybe some commercial system, they already provide some of the visualizations. Like after the search process, I will use some interpretation tools to detect what feature is more important for the final predictions, for the model to do the final predictions. So this is kind of interpretation that we want to have to better convince people this automatic system or this model works. And also for something like transparency or privacy, so usually these things is to uh, like protect the data of the, to protect the data uh, we want to use and also to provide the people more like transparency like how we use this data. We do not uh, like affect your privacy or we do not use some side information. So in that case, there are some a topic called federated machine learning uh, or federated automated machine learning. So for federated machine learning, it's like you collect the data from the devices, but you do not upload the data to the cloud. You just try to upload some gradient information or something that is needed to help train the model, but not the original data. So in that case, the automated system can like, uh, in fact, the machine learning system can base on this information to train and the automated system can also base on this information to tune it and to help provide a better results while pro- protecting this privacy. So these are the, another thing that like, people may want to use to measure the, like, the effectiveness of the mm-hmm. learning system or autonomous system. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, because, yeah, you're talking about privacy, and, and yeah, I mean, all of these concerns are things that you really can't violate. But at the same time, you also want to make it explainable, as you were saying before, because, yeah, if it's if it's a black box that's just spitting out an answer, it, it feels like 
sometimes other places give us that too, right? It's like, hey, this is the way it is. And it's like, well, why? And I tend to trust the sources that can tell me why, even if the other answer is a better answer, right? Because I can understand the answer I'm getting. And so, yeah, all of this makes really good sense. Do these tools help with that explainability or help with that stuff? Or are we into some of the other tools that we've talked about earlier on this show? I think for the current automated tools, it's uh, usually on the like on in the academic area. I don't think there mm-hmm. are too many tools who have this okay. kind of functionalities. But for companies, usually they provide some visualizations for the final results. And uh, I, I mean, this is only for automated. But for the interpretation of machine learning, there are a lot of tools to help you understand. Like in our mm-hmm. group, we have a very uh, we have a very important topic called interpretable, interpretable machine learning. So we have of members working on this. And we have a lot of tools and uh, surveys to help interpret the model. So for, in fact, these tools can be also used in AutoML, like to help interpret the results of mm-hmm. AutoML. But mainly after we got a model, we, provide, we put the model into the tools and the tools can provide that, okay, which features this model think is most important to give the prediction. So right. this is something that the interpretable tools can give you, mm-hmm. uh, either from realization or from some numbers like the feature importance or these things. Yeah, we've talked about some of the tools that kind of interpret some of the algorithms and stuff for you on previous episodes. But yeah, it's good to know too that, and then it kind of felt that way when you were talking about it, that this is kind of, at a different layer. And so you can just kind of stack them together to see what what you're getting from the overall system without having it necessarily conflict with those, right? This is a tool that actually just either helps you set up or optimize your current systems and make those algorithms work for you. Yes, yes. And also we probably want uh, the tools can also help us to uh, better use this autonomous system. So maybe Mm -hmm. like, Later, after we like create a search space and let the automatic algorithm be explored from it, and the interpretable tools can give us some intermediate feedback. And then we can, okay, we, we can know that some part of the models is kind of uh, useless. So we don't have to explore too much of this part. And we can let the machine to explore some other parts. Yeah, and then we can try to like change a little bit to help the autonomous system to do it faster. So this is like a collaboration between the autonomous system and the people who use it. So it's like an interactive process. Yep, cool. So I guess my last question that I'm thinking of is, and we talked about kind of verifying the results, but is there a way to kind of test to make sure that it's, it's doing what you want it to other than just doing the interpretation of the results, I guess. So in, in other software areas, we actually write unit tests and things like that, right? And so I guess that's what I'm wondering is um, not necessarily is it giving us better results, but just is it working as expected? Is there a way to actually test or know that? I think for the people like us to to build up the autonomous system, we also need to write the unit test. And also Mm -hmm. we need to write the uh, integration test. And these kind of tests are all needed. So during the writing of the autonomous system, because uh, I think like one simple thing is like the seed like the randomness. So because when you do all ML, you, you would uh, fit, uh, face with a lot of randomness. You, first, you have to fix this, and, 
and you have to know that, and then you have to know you will know that if it works as you expected. Like you can, uh, like explore the search space and see if it really like uh, for them. You can create a very small, a tiny search space, and you know that which model performed the best on it, and you let the automated system to search from it and then discover it, and then you will know that okay, this automated system can discover the optimal model as we expected, like within mm -hmm. a few trials, like within limited time. And this is, I think this is mainly the issue that the autumn system builder should think about. So we have to write enough tests to roughly test the system. But for the autumn users, I think usually they won't like care so much. They usually they, they will trust the autumn system since it's hard for you to touch too many things of this system because uh, if if you already want if you uh, so automatic kind of sacrifice something to help you to uh, do it more efficiently. It kind of sacrifice the flexibility for you to uh, like customize everything. It's still like it help you to release the burden, but kind of sacrifice some of the flexibility. I would say. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you probably can only test the accuracy of the final model you retrieved from the system. Uh, based on some measurement of machine learning, and uh, for the testing part, uh, I think yeah, that's the probably the main thing you 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 can you can use to test, and yeah, yeah, that's why I think think the transparency of autonomous system is more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, because if it's transparent, then you can it it becomes easier to evaluate. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about your book for a minute. So. What's what's the story behind that? Did you, I mean, did Manning come and beg you or really beg you to come write the book? I think, yeah, um, uh, I think, uh, the, in fact, Manning uh, reached out to my advisor to see if uh -huh. we have uh, something, uh, since we are the, like, uh, the, the, like, creator of Autocarus. Right. They want us to try to, uh, if we can write something about Autocarus to teach AutoML, and then we kind of expand the topic a little bit to not only focus on autocarous, uh, but mm -hmm. also focusing on the uh, like the AutoML in action. It's like a practical way of using general AutoML and uh, and use autocarous and Keras tuner as examples. And uh, Haifeng, which is the second author of the book, he's the first author of the autocarous package, and he uh, he's going to join Google, and he he worked in Google for. Uh, to summer internship and uh, uh, to collaborate with uh, uh, like Francois, who is the author mm -hmm. of Keras. I think this helps a lot because uh, like kind of currently we, we collaborate with Google to work on Autocaras and they provide uh, us a lot of guidance and put Autocaras as part of the uh, Keras ecosystem uh, so that it helps a lot for us to contribute, to, to like work on the book. So, and Haifeng will, uh, he, he like kind of know more about Keras Tuner and work on Keras Tuner uh, so that we can not only use Keras, but also use like Autocaras to, uh, to Keras Tuner to like give better examples in the book. Awesome. Yeah. It's kind of a long well, period because it's kind of, have been like one and a half a year to work on the book due to the, like the COVID. It's kind of affected. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The yeah well, I've, I've written a book and it, it's work. It's real work. And yeah, especially what I found was that there were periods where I 
didn't have any time to work on it. And then there were periods where I had a lot of time to work on it. And so you just kind of have, yeah, you get the updates in as, as you can. So yeah, that makes total sense. Congrats to your uh, co-author too on getting hired at Google. That sounds really, really interesting. If people want to reach out to you and have other questions or want to kind of follow what's going on after you graduate with your PhD, where, where can they find you online? I have my homepage and you can also find me on my LinkedIn page. And uh, of course, you can find me from my advisor's page. Mm-hmm. And if uh, definitely, I think the best choice is to search automated machine learning and action on many <laughs> and to look at the book. And then based on the book, you can find me. Uh, definitely, you just search my name on Google. And I, I, I'm not sure if there are like some author homepage linked on the website, but definitely you can find us from the homepage of the book. And yeah, I think that's the best choice because I would highly recommend to you to look at the book first or purchase the book and comment on the book. Yeah, and then yeah. go to our homepage to see the new stuff or some papers or some further readings of it. All right, sounds good. Yeah, if you can get me those uh, websites, I will put them on the the show notes. On Manning, unfortunately, on their website, your names do not. Uh, they, not they, they don't. They don't link through to anywhere. So, if somebody wanted to find you that way, I think they'd ha- have a little bit of a hard time. But yeah, we'll definitely uh, put that out there because I love it when people connect with our guests and let them know what they appreciated, and then also, you know, ask more deep and probing questions. We've actually had people back on because it was like, hey, I had a whole bunch of people ask me, ask me these questions and you want to do another round? And those are, those are some of the best ones. So yeah, let's, let's definitely do that. Hopefully people get in touch with you. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. The last segment of this show is picks, and it's just shout outs about stuff that you've been enjoying. I'm assuming as a PhD student, you don't watch a ton of TV, but people generally pick kind of pop culture stuff that they're enjoying or so that's like TV books, movies, things like that. People also pick technical things. So if there's some technical thing that's making your life better, we'd love to hear about that and just stuff like that. I'm going to go ahead and throw a few out and then we'll just kind of see where things go from there. One thing that I'm going to pick is a book and this book is a business book. And I know that most people here are doing machine learning. They're probably either dabbling in it in their spare time or they're doing it for work at a company that needs it for one thing or another. So this is more kind of management business. But the book is called Who Not How. And it talks about when you have a problem to solve. And usually it's not like a programming problem, right? Because 
In my case, it is, but most people, it's not. It's it's not, how am I going to solve this? It's who am I going to find to solve this, right? And what I found is that it's very empowering to get stuff done, right? Because I can take a step back and say, okay, I don't have time for another thing, right? And And that's generally true of my life. I don't have time for another thing. And so then it's who, not how, right? It's not how am I going to cram this in or how am I going to get this problem solved? It's who am I going to find to do it? And so I'm going to pick the book. It's by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Solomon. Sullivan. Sorry, I said that wrong. And anyway, I'm really digging it. It's uh, it's a book that I'm reading for a group of guys that I get to get with together with on a regular basis. One other thing that I'm going to pick, and this is kind of... It, so I have two more things, and they're both related. One is, two days ago as we record this, it's uh, May 7th, was the 10th anniversary of us recording Ruby Rogues the first episode of Ruby Rogues, which is the longest running show on devchat.tv, which is the podcast network that we run here. And, you know, there were five of us on the call, kind of turned into something pretty major within the Ruby community. And it spawned all this other stuff, right? So we started a JavaScript show and then a freelancing show and then a, uh, an Angular show and then an iOS show. Actually, the, I think the iOS show was first, you know, but then we, we started a bunch of other shows. And at one point, I think we were running like 19 or 20 shows that we're coming out every week. But it was 10 years ago where that started. Um, that wasn't the beginning of my podcasting journey, but it was the beginning of what we now call devchat.tv. And so that has been really fun to just kind of go back and look at where things were and how things have come around over the last several years. The other thing that has been really interesting related to that is I've kind of been thinking back on, on the last 10 years or more. I've been podcasting for about 13 years. And just that journey, right? And so uh, some of the stuff I'm very, very proud of. And some of the stuff I'm very, very not proud of, right? There are some things that I really, really, really screwed up. Most of the stuff that I screwed up that I'm somewhat not proud of is just kind of, oh, I could have done that better, right? I could have built this better. I could have put this together better, blah, blah, blah. The stuff that I deeply regret is the personal stuff right? It's it's the people whose relationships I damaged or worse, right? I, I, one in particular I'm thinking of, I pretty much nuked it. And I'm not quite sure how to recover that. But I guess what I'm picking is just taking a minute to think back, okay, you know, how did I get here, right? What was the path? What was the journey? And then think about, okay, went right, what went wrong? We call it a retrospective in programming. But at this point, with at least the one that I kind of scorched earth, nuked, nuked at the time i didn't understand the damage i was doing and now i'm trying to figure out how to make it right and it's it's just been this interesting process of hey you know i've come a long way right nuked it about five years ago and i've come a long way and at this point those relationships really matter and so i'm also going to encourage people to have a little bit of empathy and it's not necessarily always a natural state but just think about hey you know what's it like to be the other person in this situation, right? And I, I justify things to the hilt and it happens. But yeah, just thinking about that and realizing, yeah, but from the other perspective, I can understand why this hurt feelings. So anyway, it just kind of got me a little bit nostalgic and made me really think about that stuff. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to decide what to do with it because 13 years of podcasting kind of makes me want to just write out the story somewhere or tell the story on a series of videos or something, but I don't know. Anyway, 
yeah, in the meantime, yeah, I'm I'm kind of reaching out to some of some of the folks that have been part of this journey and just either rekindling a relationship that's just kind of disappeared because we just haven't talked all the way back to, hey, you know, I kind of screwed this up and can we fix it? So anyway, those are my picks. QQ, what are your picks? I think for me, it's like, since I'm still pretty young, so I just graduated from my PhD, so I don't have a, too much things to share because this is like maybe most of the audience, I think uh, also for you, you, you are much, much mm-hmm. more experienced than me. So you have more things to share. I think I what I can think of as... It's just something that I can remind in my PhD study. So it's just something I can pick from that. It's like mm-hmm. uh, some of the words that I learned. So what is like, like definitely is working uh, with, a, with a team is better than working individually. So that's the first thing I, I think of uh, because mm-hmm. everything I worked during my PhD study is not working alone. It's advised by it's guided by my advisor, work uh, together with my lab mates and also other colleagues. And also the second thing is like, I think focus on one thing at a time is more important than focusing on a lot of things jointly. It's like, I, uh, although these things might be used, kind of useless now, but in the future it will be useful, but you probably want to work on one big thing at a time. So not like working on a lot of side things. So like for the book, we work on like one and a half a year. And during that time, I don't have a lot of other contributions or other stuff in the research uh, aspect, but I think it's very important. And the last thing is like my advisor always say like work hard and play harder. So it's like you have to like balance the maximize your personal happiness and wellness rather than just like work. Like you should have the passion to work, but you should also balance this with your like personal mm-hmm. So that's, yep. uh, yeah. And maybe last thing is like, to, you, you try to learn from others. Like just like, I don't uh, quite read a lot of other people's books. And also I, I didn't know much about this kind of, uh, what kind of things I should pick. But I think this kind of process is kind of a way to, think others' feedback and learn from others. So I would hear more after this podcast. I think later I, I would like to hear more about people who join this podcast, what they learned and also mm-hmm. learn from you. And I think uh, you said you, you have uh, like collect these things to like create a book for these things or to like summarize your this things. Yeah, so, so my thinking was just to put my own story out there, but it would be more around podcasting and influencing tech. Sure, sure, sure. I think yeah. I would be very happy to learn from your experience <laughs> yeah, and yeah. got some feedback. Thank you. Yeah, as far as that goes, I do have a show about that where I tell some of my uh, backstory and that's at devinfluencers.com slash podcast. And uh, yeah, we go into that. I also have an accelerator. I was promoting it for a while. I've kind of backed off on that a little bit. There's probably an ad in this, this show for it. But I've actually been coaching developers on becoming those kinds of influencers and starting podcasts and things like that. And I've been helping them work through the process because I feel like the dev community at large needs more voices out there putting out good content to help bring people up and, and increase not only the skill level, but the satisfaction that people have in the work that they do. So, yeah. But yeah, if, you, if, if you're looking for that, that kind of a thing, that's where that's going to be found. And yeah, 
but thanks for coming. This was this was really cool. Congrats on graduating. I guess I should be calling you doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for um, having me. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.